Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Greg Rogan with the Houston Chronicle. Pleased to be joined today by Chronicle's University of Houston beat writer, Joseph Duarte, back for another week. Talk a little Sweet 16, University of Houston Cougars basketball action. Joseph, how are you doing today? Doing well, Greg. The winds keep coming, so I guess we'll keep doing this. I'm going to be honest with you. At halftime on Saturday, I wasn't so sure we'd be doing a Sweet 16 podcast this week, but sure enough, uh, the Cougars came through. I thought that was a big uh, gut check win and comeback there. I mean, you talk about facing adversity. You're playing a virtual road game in the second round of the NCAA tournament against a team that's you know two hours away from its campus. It was probably felt like 20 against 20,000 for UH that night. They found a way to get through it. And a lot of times you'll see like championship teams, they have that game where, you know, things look to be on the ropes and they find a way to to get through it. And it's a springboard for greater success. I'm not saying that's the case for UH yet. They'd have to win four more games for us to say that, but I would have to assume confidence is pretty good in their camp heading to the Sweet 16, right? Well, I was among the many who thought that they were, uh, that they were toast and, you know, My wife's a U of H grad, and I had to explain to her that as a journalist on deadline, you got to write two versions. You got to write sort of a winning version and a losing version. I had I had the last rights pretty much at halftime. I didn't think they had what it was going to need in the second half, but this could be a tie turning, defining moment if they go on and win it. You know, much like in 2021 when they beat Rutgers in the second round. Uh, which, by the way, was because of Tremont Mark, just like this past one. Uh, they went on to the Final Four, and that was a big reason why. So, like you said, it's a little premature, but the confidence is riding high. They feel like they got their swagger back. They feel like they are the Houston many expected. And, and granted, they had injury situation. There were some things going on where Marcus Sasser was hurt. Jamal Shedd's been hurt. Foul trouble in that game. Uh, but they dug deep. And I think we, like Kelvin Sampson said, you saw in the last 20 minutes what this Houston team's about. Being there in the arena, what did you notice with them? What what changed in that second half to where they could flip that switch? You know, just what I've, what I've seen throughout this year. Now, granted, they haven't been down a lot this year, but it's what you don't see. They don't panic. They don't. Uh, they don't get angry or they you don't see any internal bickering or strife or any of that. You, you see a team that fully expects 
to turn things around. And 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 honestly, on the way to the arena beforehand, Greg, I uh, you know I'm talking with the other media and then the shuttle, and they're asking me what I thought. And what I told them was Kelvin Sampson does not have two bad games in a row. I've never seen that. And there's a reason that they haven't lost back-to-back games but once in the last five years. So uh, it's him. And, you know, it's whatever he draws up or whatever he he plans defensively. I mean, it's just he's so good at that. And then at halftime, he literally told us, I didn't say anything. Didn't have to. We knew what we had to do. And then they went out and did it. Was that the most adversity they faced this season? I mean, they lost the AAC championship game to Memphis, but in the grand scheme of things, that was a meaningless game. They had their number one seed right. locked up, but I can't think of any adversity they have faced since the the, the Elite Eight against Villanova last year. Yeah, uh, the Kent State game, and, and I know, I mean, Kent State was a, a, you know, a, a tournament team this year. They were on the ropes in the last minute of that game. Now, granted, it was a regular season game, so if if you lose that one early, it, it it doesn't do anything to you. But that was a a tough one from start to finish. But you're right, this one with the stakes as high as they were, it's hard to uh, to say that they had been backs against the wall any more than they were in the in the first half against Auburn. So you were at practice today. They had an availability with players. What's the vibe with Marcus Sasser, Jamal Shedd, the injury situation heading into Kansas City this week? Well, they're rested or they're getting there. And Marcus Sasser told us that he felt he would be close to 90% for the game on Friday, which, you know, two weeks ago, if you told me that, I, I would be shocked that he was playing, much less be at 90%. But they feel like they dodged a bullet. They were able to get him back quickly. And, and even though he left, that opener at halftime that they didn't it didn't have any more damage to it. Now you look at Jamal Shedd, he's playing with um, some patella tendonitis. They told us today he's had the knee issue. So he's a guy to watch, but a lot of guys are banged up. But having a Friday, Sunday regional gives them that extra day and it gives them the opportunity to get in there and get some treatment. John Houston, they're Associate AD for sports medicine is the most popular guy on campus right now because he's the one who's uh, going through all the treatment with these guys. He's the groin whisperer, so to speak. Growing knee, shoulder, neck, back, you name it. And he's got all these cool gadgets that, uh, you know, you and I are getting up there in age. We may need to borrow and, uh, you know, get something prescribed so that we can have a a nice back massager or, or whatever they're using to get back on the court. If they make the Final Four, we'll have to look for a session with him. Um, no, there's no easy games in the tournament, as we've seen so far. You can ask Purdue, can ask uh, Kansas, UH. I mean, it was an, it was tough against Northern Kentucky in the first round. Did UH catch a break at all with Miami beating Indiana, or is that just going to be a case where both of those opponents were going to be tough in the Sweet 16? Well, outside of the storylines that they avoided, I thought Indiana would have been a better matchup on the plus side for for Houston, Miami, they're they're good. I mean they they like to run the ball. They like to the tempo, speed it up. More of a transition team. Houston is more of a slow it down when they can. More of the the half court type of offense. So if they played Indiana, I could have seen them winning by you know fifteen plus. Miami, you know this one's going to be a tough one. They've got some talented guards. Isaiah Wong is the AA, ACC's 
uh, player of the year. And then you look at Nigel Pack, guys like that. Uh, so their guards are talented. This is going to be a really good matchup uh, on the perimeter with two really good teams defensively and then two teams that you know at least one likes to go up and down the court. The other one, you know, as far as Houston goes, do they try to play to that style or do they try to slow Miami down? Ahead of Saturday's game against Auburn, you nailed it calling Tremont Mark the X factor in that game. And he, he had 26 points, 20 in the second half. Obviously, they don't move on without him. So I'm going to try to pick your Kreskin-like brain again. <laughs> Who is the X factor for the Sweet 16 against Miami? Oh, boy. And I'm not going to go with the obvious ones. I'm not going to go with Sasser and Shed. You know, I'm going to say that Jairus Walker has another big game on both ends. And, man, what he did defensively, him and, and Roberts, they combined for 11 blocks. That was an underappreciated uh, stat out of that game because of all of the offensive fireworks that, that Tremont Mark had. I'm going to go with Jairus. And then I'm going to throw a second one out there, Emmanuel Sharp. He doesn't start. He gets his minutes here and there. But he's the type of guy that came in in the Auburn game, excuse me, in the Northern Kentucky game, and hit two key three-pointers there in the second half. So I'm going to go with Walker and and Emmanuel Sharp. Good choice. You know, when UH played Alabama this year at Fertitta Center, I had a chance to talk to Dan Schulman, the ESPN announcer, before the game. And he mentioned that, there's no team tougher than UH. When you when you take a statement like that, what what makes UH so tough? Is it just the way the way they play defense, the rebounding, the mental toughness, or is it a combination of all of that? Or Kelvin Sampson, kind of the imprint he's put on this program? All of the above. Absolutely all of the above. They don't back down. They they are they are the reflection of their head coach. You know. I think Brian Smith had some nice lines in there where, you know, this is a guy, Kelvin Sampson, who used to have to drive the Montana Tech bus up these crazy mountains on the ice where, you know, he, he's been through it all. You know, he had to wash the laundry. He had to, you know, clean up the locker room. I mean, this guy sharpened his, his chops uh, at the very bottom of the ladder when he started and, his teams have inherited every stop that that mentality, that workmanlike blue collar, going to give you one hundred percent plus, and and it shows uh, the way they conduct practices, the accountability. He told us a great story about a player who he made run at a recent practice, and the guy wasn't going to make the time uh, to 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 quit running. So Jamal Shed went behind the guy was pushing him along to make sure that he made his time. That's sort of their the way they think. They are all together in this, and they they simply won't let each other fail. And that's that's a big thing. And I've heard that toughness comment, and that, to me, is as good a compliment as you can give any Kelvin Sampson team because it has to do with the defense. It has to do with the rebounding. It has to do with the not giving up when things aren't falling offensively. So it sort of encompasses everything about that program. When you see the number one seeds go down, like Purdue, like Kansas did, does that um, put a little more fear into UH? I mean, as far as their tournament mortality goes, that 
you really can't take anything for granted. I think I think they kind of learned that last year, but I mean, do they real do they really realize how fine a line this is in the tournament? Well, now that they made it to week weekend two, I I think you're past that. I, the going into that, coming off of the game against Northern Kentucky, and having the question marks that they had with the injury, I think then that's where that set in. Of hey, you just because you're number one seed doesn't mean you're invincible. And they saw what happened to Purdue, and they saw what happened to Kansas, but getting to the second weekend now, you sort of are grouped with 15 other teams that, I mean, this is the best of the best now, and uh, the pressure for them is knowing that everybody's going to be talking about, okay, they're two wins away from the Final Four in Houston. They're one win away, or once they, if they get to the Final Four, they got a chance to win the championship in their hometown. That's the pressure that I think will eventually set in as we go further and deeper into this. But for now, getting to the second week was a huge accomplishment, not because we, we we thought that they should be there all along. It's because they, unlike some of the, the other trips that they've had, they really had to to get through some adversity and overcome some things that, that didn't make them such a, a shoe-in uh, before, you know, the first week uh, weekend of the, the tournament. You know, one storyline in this tournament that I find particularly fascinating is the Jim Nance angle. He called UH's first two games last week in Birmingham. He's going to be back on the call this week in Kansas City. And obviously, if they win out this weekend, he'll be on the call for all of their games in this NCAA tournament. What is that dynamic like? Playing, what is that playing out like in the arena when you're there with Nance and you see him before the game and after the game? Oh, he's he's living it up. And... You know, he was telling us the stories about, you know, what he remembers about the old days. So, I mean, this is a, a reflective moment for him. And, you know, he joked with us. He's like, look, at this point, you know, I'm going to be professional. I'm going to be objective. But what are they going to do to me? Are they Are going to fire me? I mean, I got a couple of games left. He was in the locker room after the game against Auburn. And you don't see that real often, but he that's the ties that he have. And the fact that for most of his career, he never called a U of H game until recent years. Uh, it's it's sort of a it's a nice little treat for him. And you know, we asked him again about what what happens if this thing is playing out on Monday, April third, and Houston's about the clock's about to tick down, and Houston's going to win a championship. And he sort of told us he's like, look, I, you know, I may take off the headset and just walk away. You know, maybe I don't know if he's talking about walking on the court or what. Uh, or just sit there and just maybe not say that might be the most fitting ending for uh, for Jim Nance, just to sit there and the camera show him not saying a word, because I think that'll speak as much as if he did say something, because this will be the storybook ending. This is the David Barron final chapter of a book, you know, <laughs> Jim Nance in a championship, because there's nobody uh, that exemplifies being a cougar. And, and what he's done for the school in this program in particular than uh, than Jim Nance. I just think it's really great that his bosses at CBS have let him call these games. Because I think even if, say, Duke and Kansas had survived this past week, I still think Nance would be on the UH games. Because I, I, it's a natural storyline. And, you know, you don't know how far a team's going to go in the tournament. So just let him call them. From here on out. Right. And they're one of the top teams. So I don't I don't have a problem with him getting assigned. Now I did ask them and if had the the regional paired up differently, they would have gone to Greensboro like he thought. 
but there just wasn't that storyline or that that bracket part. That part of the bracket wasn't attractive enough where, I mean, they were going to send the A-team where it needed to go. And to have Alabama and Houston number one seeds in the same Birmingham regional, it just made complete sense. And like you said, I think CBS wants to uh, to let this thing play out. And what better storyline is there than not only just the information he can provide on Houston, but just the emotional part of it. Because, uh, you know, I don't get a chance to, to listen uh, to the telecast like, like you do and others. But I imagine there's there's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of lot of input and a lot of emotion that you know he he probably lets slip out every once in a while when he's not supposed to. Yeah, he did have that line when they missed the uh, front end of a pair of one on one free throw situations where he said it still hurts from 1983, <laughs> and I know for a long time Houston fans it does still hurt. But you can't really look ahead too much in the NCAA tournament. But we have the potential in this Kansas City region of having a dream matchup between Houston and Texas to go to the Final Four. What would you peg the odds on that happening at? Um, I'd go 60-40. 60-44? I think Houston, Houston gets there. I think Texas has the tougher road. I think, honestly, if I'm, if I'm Houston, and they haven't said this, this is my opinion, if I'm Houston, I want to play Texas rather than Xavier. I think Xavier's a tougher matchup. That's why I'm not convinced that Texas gets past Xavier. So, you know, I'll put it a little bit more than, than 50, 50, but if, if it happens, Greg, uh, you know, they may have to shut down the, the state uh, just for that, that afternoon or evening or whenever the game would be. Cause uh, the way that the brackets played out, they sure stacked, you know, some of the regions were to ensure that there wouldn't be more than one Texas school getting into uh, the Final Four in Houston. So if you get to that point, you're going to get one. Uh, but, you know, Houston always talks about wanting to play play Texas, and that would be the, you know, for all the marbles. I looked it up as part of the crack research I do for this podcast. Houston and Texas have not played since the 2000 CBI tournament. I was there. A, a 73-72 UH win. I can't believe these programs were in the CBI. Granted, it was 22 years ago. No, I believe it was, was 2012. It, did, did I write down my dates wrong? I might have. Yeah, yeah. it was in Hoffines. I was covering that game. And uh, it was James Dickey was the head coach for Houston. And I'm trying to, you know, it was a weird, yeah, it was a weird deal. Of all the places for these two teams to met, they, they played at Hoffines, and it was in the CBI, and Houston won that game. Yes, I, I completely wrote that down wrong because their last um, regu- their last regular season matchup was in December of 2000 at Hoffines, and Texas won. But you're right. They played in uh, March 20th, 2013 in the CBI. And Houston has not played Xavier since December 16th, 1977. So it's a long time coming for either of these matchups. I'm sorry, go ahead. It's been since 1971 that they played Miami. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's it's wild. I, mean, I, I don't know the last time they played Indiana, but although I'm sure Kelvin's glad that we're not talk, we're not asking him about Indiana storylines all week. No, well, I, sh- I can guarantee you that was in the back of their minds. They went to Bloomington during the Final Four year. That was sort of the – he went back, even though Indiana wasn't the opponent, but this one would have stirred up a lot of uh, – 
lot of the backstories from how that all played out. And that's something I'm sure as a program and as, as him and his family playing in the biggest game of, of, of the season that they would have probably liked to avoid. And they did. Well, I was joking with someone the other day that um, the Auburn matchup was with Kelvin and Bruce Pearl was kind of an NCAA investigator special, you know, for the NCAA tournament. But he uh, got through that one okay. What kind of uh, traveling party do you expect for the Cougars this week in Kansas City? Obviously, Auburn fans, you know, dominated that arena Saturday night. But now that we've, we're getting to the Sweet 16, you know, closer to the Final Four, are UH fans going to show out more on the road this week? Obviously, uh, maybe a little closer trip, a little more lively city to go to. You know, they, they've traveled well uh, the last few tournaments. Now, now I'm not factoring in the, the COVID year, but I do remember, uh, I guess it was in 2018 when they were in Kansas City last. Uh, it was a really, really good uh, contingent. So, yeah, I mean, ticket sales, I, from what I've been told, have been really good. And in Kansas City's not a tough place to get. Plus, they're familiar with that arena. So is Texas. You know, they played the Big 12 tournament there. Uh, so uh, I would imagine, with I think it seats about 13, 14,000, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I could see Houston bringing up a pretty large contingent of, you know, 5,000 plus or so. I mean, that's sort of what it looked like last time. Uh, didn't quite end the way they wanted with the loss to Kentucky, but uh, they this is a team that's that's traveled well and and they notice it because they greet the team at the team hotel in in the city that they go to. Uh, they take like a, they find a, a a spot in town and the, all of the fans take a photo together. So they uh, they're getting into this and whether it was San Antonio last year or Kansas City this year, they're up uh, they're traveling. Last question I have for you. I kind of raised this last week. The Cougars have been to the Final Four six times. All six times they've come through the Midwest region. Is it looking more like a coincidence or a good omen for UH at this point? I think it's a good omen. And, uh, of course, I, I was pulling for the West region just because it was Vegas. So, you know, that's self- <laughs> selfish. Or maybe the East with New York City. But, but you're right. Going all the way back to the first couple with Elvin Hayes, and then you go through the five slamma jamma years. Uh, yeah, there's been something about the Midwest region. And if it happens again, you know, you could be talking about some more history because right now out of the West, I think that UCLA-Gonzaga winner will be the favorite out of that region. And if it's UCLA, we're talking about a, you know, game of the century rematch from, from what, 50-something years ago. So that would be a, a cool storyline for the Final Four. And then you look at the other brackets, uh, the other regions. I think Alabama right now comes out of the South. And then in the East, boy, that's uh, that's the crazy region of them all. Uh, not sure uh, where I would go with that. Maybe Michigan State. That might be my, my pick there. So you could have an interesting Final Four. But now that we said that, uh, it'll probably be completely reversed. And maybe none of the number ones get, get to Houston. So... Uh, but this is this has just been a very unpredictable and chaotic uh, first weekend of the of the tournament. Speaking of those number ones, was there any interaction between UH and Alabama and Birmingham? You know, you don't see two number one teams sharing arena during the NCAA tournament in the first round, first two rounds very often. No, they passed each other in the in the tunnel. Their lockers were locker rooms were right next to each other. 
uh, you know, it's a chance to maybe size each other up, but they, they know each other. I mean, you look at uh, the December meeting. I thought it was interesting that both of their star players had growing injuries. You know, Brandon Miller sat out most of the uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi game with his injury. And then you had Sasser miss it. But yeah, other than a, a passing here or there, you know, there weren't any any head-to-head, uh, you know, meetings or, or anything like that. They uh, The schedules kind of didn't overlap as much in that regard. But uh, come uh, April 1st, or excuse me, April 3rd, if they're the, the two teams in the championship game from the, from the opposite sides of the bracket, uh, they'll, they'll know each other plenty well. It will be fascinating to see how that plays out. Joseph Duarte, thanks again for your time previewing the Sweet 16. Hopefully we'll chat again next week, which would be previewing the Final Four if everything works out for UH. Thank you for listening to the Texas Sports Nation podcast. For more UH basketball coverage, please go to HoustonChronicle.com slash sports.